face look like? Look at Danielle Conrad's face. Normally when I wear this shirt, I say to everyone, it's not pink, it's salmon. (laughs) But today it's pink. October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. There's a lady on our staff that I absolutely adore that is going through that and has gone through that, and this is honor of her and others like her. So uh, do pray for those ladies and some men, obviously, through the years, but pray specifically for those ladies. Encourage you to read your bulletin carefully so you don't miss out on anything. The one specific thing that I need to make sure you know today is today's the last day to sign up for one of the pictorial spots for the directory coming up. So as you walk out those center doors, if you can do that before you leave today, otherwise you need to call Ola Mills then after today. And we'd love to have everybody. I know everybody can't and doesn't, but there's no obligation at all. We just love to be able to have everybody's face in it. So if you can help us out, we'd appreciate that. It's one of the best ways we know how to get to know everyone and uh, get to know all the new faces. So if you can do that, we would appreciate that. It is fun for us to go through them year after year after year and watch the changes that have taken place in people's face and attire and all of those things. So uh, please do that if you can. If you have your sermon notes this morning, I want you to take them out because I'm going to ask the questions that are right at the very beginning. Blue insert, I think, in your bulletin this morning. As we continue our series in Nehemiah, I probably know that there are not a lot of us in the room that are going through the same circumstances at the same time. But I've got to believe that as I look through the questions that we have here this morning in your sermon notes, that at some point or the other you've gone through those signs of circumstances where you've been in a situation where you really have tried to do the right thing only to find that others criticized you for it even though you knew it was the right thing. You still faced ridicule and criticism. Maybe you've been at work and you've wanted to live your values. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to live your values everywhere you go and you want to do that at work, but you found yourself in a situation where people didn't either like it or made fun of you or laughed at you or just didn't even understand why you took a stand for some of the things you did. And it made you feel kind of awkward in those situations because you really did want to serve Jesus outside these doors, but in those work environments sometimes, making sure that everyone understands you're a Christian can cost you a lot of ridicule, a lot of laughter, and a lot of put-downs. Some of you have been in school situations where you've wanted to take a stand for your faith. You knew Christ. You knew that God created this world in six days. You knew exactly what the Word of God said. That was the one, <coughs> that was the one absolute in the midst of a very unstable world. And you wanted to make sure that you took a stand for your faith. And when you did, you found yourself being either ridiculed by other people or even had a teacher put you down. Because you just wanted to take a stand for Christ or biblical values or that God created this world and God sustained this world, but you had somebody push you down for that. You're in a secular campus. Sometimes that's one of the most difficult places on the planet to be a Christian because you feel like you're swimming upstream against a moral climate that's coming at you on every end of the spectrum. I've got to believe at some point or the other it. Somewhere in your life or some situation in your life, you've faced one of these situations where you did want to take a stand for Christ. You did want to do the right thing, only to be criticized. You did want to make sure that your values were solid and secure and everyone knew it, only to find yourself put down. And there may be a few of you in the room that feel like Satan is out to get you no matter what. And every time you turn around, he's there to slam you, to hurt you, to do something to you, to try to take the wind out of your sails. 
couple of months ago, Eric and Aaron, my, Eric is my son-in-law, Aaron's our daughter, they passed her in the Cecil Alliance Church down near Bridgeville, PA, and she called us up and said, Dad, they're going to do a benefit ride. One of the police officers in our church hurt himself in an accident. There's only part-time, doesn't have benefits, they're going to do a benefit ride in October. We'd love for you to go. And so I did, and my son-in-law, Jonathan, went down. And we were on a benefit ride with a number of other riders. And uh, on the way back, I had made a decision as we were getting near the end to stop in to see my mom and dad for a minute. And as I did, came back to find out they hadn't gotten back yet, only to come to find out that my daughter and son-in-law went down on their motorcycle and had an accident. And when you hear that, you don't know what to think. You don't know how to respond. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to feel. And uh, fortunately, there wasn't helicopters or, or ambulances involved. They're really banged up. Uh, bike is pretty bad hurt, and sadly enough, it was a borrowed motorcycle from a military guy in Afghanistan. So how do you explain that over the phone uh, kind of a thing? And they're just stiff and sore, and Eric's missing a part of underneath his knee and, and all of those kinds of things. And then you have to go back, and there's this poor guy who we were doing the benefit ride for, who just is devastated by the fact that his pastor is the one that wrecked his motorcycle while he's trying to raise money for him. And you, you just feel so bad. And there's a kid who's just trying to make a stand for Christ and is trying to, to brand new believer in Jesus and, and feel so devastated that something like this has happened. Of course, we feel bad for our kids. And Con stayed there last night and this morning because they're going to be stiffer than boards this morning when they get up to try to walk. I'm sure all of you have been in those situations that are way worse than that. I Shared that in the first sermon this morning. I looked over in the corner, and there was a couple who last year had a, a police officer call and say, your daughter's been in an accident, and she's unconscious. And you don't know how to respond to those situations. And you, you feel so bad, you don't know how to react. And you know sometimes you've gone through those situations in life where it just feels like every time you try to move forward, something pulls you backwards. And I look at Steve, and I know they're facing that with, with their baby, and there's a lot of people in the room that feel like, Oh, man, no matter what I try to do that's right, I feel like the wind keeps getting knocked out of my sails. Well, if any of those situations or circumstances are you, then you're going to like what God teaches us through Nehemiah. I love this guy because he has so much applicable truth to where we are today, even though it was written 3,000 years ago. I love the fact that the Word of God is just as relevant now as when it was written. Nehemiah has gone through more things in a short period of time than most of us will in a lifetime. And he shares with us some incredible truth that I want to share with you this morning. One of the tensions I live with on a regular basis as a pastor that I know almost every week I let someone down. Either I didn't shake their hand or I didn't know they were sick or I haven't seen them in a while and I didn't notice it when they were there or somewhere along the way I know our staff does. And as a pastor, you want to do the right things. You want to love God and love people but you know you let people down, and that's hard to live with. And many of you who live in those kind of environments where you just want to serve God or serve people and, and love them like crazy, and then to know that you disappointed someone or hurt someone, or in my case, have someone so angry at you, they may leave the church or whatever that means, it's difficult to be in those situations. And you want to know how to respond. And what I love is that Nehemiah teaches us how to do that. We've been doing Nehemiah a little bit different than I've done biblical studies before, Instead of chapter by chapter by chapter, we've been dealing with some incredibly powerful subjects. A few weeks ago, we were on the subject of prayer, and I think he teaches us better than most anyone else about what prayer looks like and how we react to God, how we speak to God, and how we address God in the circumstances of our life. And if you weren't here, I really do encourage you to download either our sermons or get a CD, 
Because there's some great stuff that God teaches us out of this. Two weeks ago, we talked about leading up. So often we think leadership means if I'm at the top, I'm driving the bus, I know what I need to do to get the bus in the right direction because I'm in the driver's seat. Leadership has nothing to do with where you are in the org chart. It has everything to do with your attitude and how you lead. If you're in the middle, you're at the bottom, you're at the top or wherever you are. And he does a clinic on helping us to learn how to lead. He's going to do even a better job in leading those behind him. But he does a great job in leading those over him out of that chapter that I'd, I'd again, love you to take the the CD or or listen to it on the download for that. A couple of weeks ago, somebody called me and said, look, I know you're going through Nehemiah like you've done every other book on a chapter-by-chapter thing. Man, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with chapter 3. If you've read ahead, you know chapter 3 is a list of names and people. And that's it. Can't wait to see what you're going to do with that one. You know what I would do if I were to indeed do that chapter? I would say when somebody does a great job, tell them. Paul does something very unique in Romans chapter 16. You ought to write it down somewhere in your sermon notes. He does something that many would say, what are you thinking? I can't believe you did that. He took an entire chapter of scripture and mentioned people by name. And he thanked them for what they did, either for him or the church. Now, I'm sure he's thinking, I know I'm going to leave somebody out. So when I pointed out Danielle this morning, 20 other people had great faces in the audience, and somebody said, I can't believe you only know this one. And in the first service this morning, there were a couple of names that I mentioned, and and that's the risk you take. And I look at Paul saying, Paul, I can't believe you had to have thousands of people that ministered to you in some way or the other. But in that particular chapter, he chose those names of those people who meant a lot to him, and he thanked them by name, and he pointed them out. In Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah lists people and names and what they did, and then he moves on in chapter 4. As I began to reflect on that, her question a couple of weeks ago when she asked me what I'd do with this chapter, I thought, you know what? If someone does a good job, let them know. If someone does something you appreciate or you appreciate what they've accomplished, tell them. If God took the pages of sacred scripture to point out people's names and what they accomplished, or what they did, or how much they meant to someone, I think that's a great example for us to say thank you for what you've done, or thank you for how you've ministered to me, or thank you for what you accomplished. Thank you for, and then list it, whatever it may be. I am well aware of the fact that October is Past Appreciation Month, and I do appreciate James Dobson for starting that. And and this is going to sound self-serving, and that's not the point of this statement at all, or what I just said a moment ago. I get a couple dozen cards every month in October, and it means a lot to me. I got one from a a friend named Mike that I'll treasure till the day I die a couple of months ago. But I'm on the stage, and Justin's on the stage, and everybody knows who they are. But there are people that serve all over this campus that do a phenomenal job that no one notices. And, and maybe no one points out. They're not going to get a card. There are people on our staff that never get a card during this month. That, and I know they do a great job. They love your kids as much as you do. They serve in capacities. But there are people beyond the pastoral team that ought to have a thank you every once in a while when you leave today and your kids are in the nursery and you go to pick them up look at that gal or that guy that's serving in the nursery and say thanks i got a chance to enjoy the service Danny was okay but i really got a chance to enjoy the singing and so thanks for watching my kids if you're in a coffee line or getting donut in the morning on sunday morning say thanks for doing this thanks for serving i i I love to come here today and get these donuts and coffee it kind of jolts me for the day i just thank you for doing that whatever it may be If there are people that you know, we appreciate what we get, but there are a lot of people who never get a note, never get a card, who serve God to their toes and love what they do, 
And just every once in a while, I ought to have somebody to say thank you so very much for playing, for singing, for loving, for showing Jesus, for having a smile like that. But they're beyond these doors. You go to the Walmart tomorrow or Bonton or wherever you go, and you got a great lady. Every single time I go to a restaurant or a hotel or whatever, and I see somebody that outserves or just simply serves or has a great smile, I'll call the manager all the time. They think we're going to yell at them. And I say, just want you to know that Susie did a phenomenal job this morning. I thought you ought to know that. And I do it everywhere I go, and it fascinates me as to the response of the managers. Because they're so, we, have, we have built a culture of complaint. We have call centers, we have complaint centers, we have on and on the list goes. And we have built a culture of complaining. And we don't do a good job of developing a culture of gratitude. And so I think if Paul did it in Romans 16, and Nehemiah spent one whole chapter in sacred scripture pointing out people's names and places and what they did, you ought to pick out somebody in your life that you know has done a good job, or you love their smile, you love their face, or how they serve, or what they do, and just say thanks. Can you do that? That's free. Free sermon. Chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had somebody whose house has burnt down and you've gone back with them and, and they're overwhelmed. Nehemiah walks back to Jerusalem and it's destroyed. If you take the time to read chapter 2 and 3, you're going to find him going back and exploring it at night sometimes, and he's just overwhelmed with what he has seen. Have you ever gone back to somebody's house and they just look at these ashes or a tornado situation where everything is blown away and you watch the scenes and they're picking up piece after piece after piece and they're trying to put their life together and it fits in a shoebox. And you can't imagine the feeling unless you've ever gone through it and thank Jesus we've not. But there's so many who have, who try to put their life back together again and all they have is scraps of paper and pieces of furniture. Nehemiah walks back to Jerusalem, a city he loves, and it's devastated. I love this community. I love Butler. And I hope we can stay here for a long time. And I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to come back to a Butler situation after being gone for a while and finding out that it's been ravaged by a tornado. That's what it's like for Nehemiah, going back to Jerusalem and seeing that it's been destroyed. And he's trying to put the pieces back together again. He loves God, loves his people, loves his kingdom, loves his, the Israelites, and he loves Jerusalem. And all he wants to do is serve God and putting it back together again. And what he's going to face is criticism, rebuke, enemies out the ears as he tries to do what he knows God's called him to do. And I think he's got some great things to teach us. Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. Going to find himself rebuilding the Israelite nation only to face opposition everywhere he goes. Going to be laughed at, ridiculed. When that doesn't work, his enemies use discouragement. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. So I'm going to read today, mention a number of things along the way. When Salabat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox could climb up on it and break it down and break down their walls of stone. If you're trying to live out your faith 
and live out your values. And I hope as a believer in Jesus Christ, you do want to live out your faith and live out your values everywhere you go. I want you to know right up front, this may not be the most encouraging sermons you'll ever hear, but I want you to know right up front, not everyone's going to agree with you. And there may be people in your life who are going to laugh at you and put you down. What do you mean you don't drink? How do you not drink? What do you mean you don't want to go out this weekend? We're not going to get hammered. We're just going to go out and have some after work. What do you mean you want to stay pure till you get married? Why would you do that? Nobody else does. What do you mean you don't lie? A little bit? Everybody lies. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you just take a nobody's gonna miss it? It's not like you just can't take some things from we're like no like I'm gonna miss those pencils or the pay, whatever it may be. And the list could be endless. There are hundreds of other things I could share with you that I'm sure that if you're in those kind of situations you face on a regular basis, when you want to live your faith and values, and the people around you just don't seem to understand. And for some of you, it may be some of your friends. And some of your friends at school when they don't understand why you don't get hammered in the weekend like they do. Because everybody does it. 43% of college students get hammered on the weekend. And they're still in class on Monday. Why don't you go with us? And for many of you who just want to live your faith and values, you find yourself in those situations where everyone seems to make fun of you or put you down. What do you mean God created the world in six days? Come on. There's no way that happened. And the list is endless. And when that doesn't work, our enemy Satan will use maybe not laughter or put downs. He'll use discouragement. Look, you're never going to win these people over. I'm just telling you, that guy is never going to come to faith in Christ. You might as well give up. Come on, stay consistent in your Christian life. You haven't been consistent in your Christian life for a month. But what makes you think you're going to finally make it in a Christian life? Every time you try to live out your values and every time you try to live out your faith, you only end up flat on your face. Why even bother? You ever heard those things in your head? What do you mean? You want to be the kind of Christian they are. Come on, seriously. You're never going to be that kind of Christian. Why try? They just don't like you. You'll never fit in. And wherever that may be, you find yourself statement after statement after statement. Getting inundated from the enemy and the people around you that you thought were your friends or maybe some that weren't. But when you want to live your faith or want to live your values or want to be able just to simply take a stand for Christ and do what you know is right, only to find people that come at you from every angle, from places you wouldn't have ever expected to places you knew you could count on. And they put you down. The list of things that I could have shared with you a moment ago could be endless. Satan's lies go all the way back to the Garden of Eden at the very outset of humanity. In the very first books of the, New Te- of the Old Testament in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, when he whispered into Eve's ears, God's holding out on you. Are you sure that's what God meant? And lies like those have been going on ever since. God's word and his authority have been the subject of Satan's lies and discouragement for centuries. And I'm telling you, like Nehemiah, if doubt, ridicule, and discouragement doesn't work, he'll use intimidation and fear. Jesus very clearly and honestly said to us, I want you to know, your enemy, the Satan, is a liar. He's a murderer, and he's out to get you. Peter said, your enemy, Satan, is like a lion seeking someone to devour. Not just trip up, not just give you a flat tire, not just make you have a bad day. He's out to destroy you. I just want you to know that. Your decision for Jesus Christ 
if you've made a decision for Christ and you've embraced him as Savior, and you've decided to live your values and live out your life for Jesus Christ, that decision for Jesus Christ is the most important decision you'll ever make in life. Your decision for a mate, your decision to have children, where you're going to live, what you're going to do, where you're going to go to church. They're all great decisions, all important decisions. But your decision for Jesus Christ to put your faith in him as Lord and Savior is the most important decision you'll ever make. For one thing, it will drive and guide all the other decisions you have to make in life. It will give you peace in the midst of the storms of life, but it guarantees your eternal destiny. When you invite Jesus into your life, you have guaranteed that moment your eternal destiny. So whether you leave this world when you're 8 or 80, you'll see Jesus face to face. It is the most important decision you'll ever, ever make. But let me be honest and tell you the truth. It is a dangerous decision, a difficult decision, and for some people who make it, it could cost them their lives. And we don't hear a lot of sermons about that. But it's true. A couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago now, I guess, we had a couple of guys here who had embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior and were of the Muslim faith. And they came and shared their story, and they had to use names that no one knew. They couldn't let it be filmed or DVD'd or, or audioed in any way at all. They used names about people who had come to faith in Christ, who had left the Muslim faith or the, and made some changes in their life, who in their cases and in their stories did cost them their lives. And in our country, sometimes we take our Christianity so flippantly and loosely that, you know, well, whatever, I'm trying to live my values, just giving it the best shot and see Jesus when it's all said and done. But God's very honest about his word, and sometimes it costs people everything. Which is why I'm always concerned when we have such easy believism in, in our culture when it's a really incredibly difficult decision for some. But if it doesn't cost you your life, I just want you to know right up front, it could bring people in your life who will doubt you, discourage you, ridicule you, and put you down. All in an effort to test your stand for Christ, test your faith in Jesus Christ, get you to back off or at least be quiet about your faith. Well, you know, Christianity is a private thing anyhow, and faith ought to be something to be quiet. No, it isn't. But I'm telling you, the enemy's going to do everything he possibly can to get you to be quiet about your faith so no one knows and no one gets upset about the fact that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus told every single person who listened to him, who listened to his sermons and everyone who decided to follow him, I just want you to know right now this decision could cost you everything. So make very sure you want to follow me. Well, people would then ask, then why make it? If it's going to cost me everything and it could cost me my life and I'm going to face ridicule and doubt and deceivers and, and, and scoffers and discouragement, why make it? Because I'm telling you, it is the most important decision you'll ever make for life and in life. And it's the only way to get through life and the only way to get eternal life. That's why to make it. It is the only way to get through this life and it's the only way to have eternal life. And that's why you make it. Believe me, in my 30 some years of ministry, I've seen people try to face death and difficulty without Christ. And it's impossible. I just want you to know honestly and up front. It's a difficult decision, and you need to make it seriously and understand what sometimes you may go through. When Satan and all of his other schemes fail of doubt, discouragement, intimidation, and fear, he's going to try division. He walks into this particular situation with enemies in chapter 4, 5, and 6 and tries to divide the family of God, tries to divide Nehemiah's followers. He'll try to divide families. He'll certainly try to divide churches. 
When we moved into our new facilities, we heard things like, they just want to be like one of those big mega churches on TV. <laughs> Do I look like a TV preacher? They just want to be a big church. They don't care about people's needs anymore. They, they've changed so many ministries. We're just not like we used to be. And the list is endless. All in an effort to sometimes get us to point our fingers at one another and trying to, instead of trying to reach the lost world for Christ. And trust me, it wears you down and wears you out and keeps you from accomplishing your mission. We're trying to help people come to faith in Christ, to see them transformed by that faith, to grow in their relationship with God through wisdom, being really intentional about relationships and serving Jesus. And believe me, Satan's going to do every single thing he can to keep us from accomplishing our mission. And not only does it happen in churches, it can happen to you as an individual. You're a mom who just loves your kids, who wants to serve your family, who wants to serve your kids, who wants to raise godly children. Somewhere along the way, someone's going to come in and try to discourage you and distract you and keep you from that important mission. Making you feel less important because you're not out there pursuing some kind of career. You could be a, a great Sunday school teacher or a youth worker or a children's worker or playing a band or singing a choir, but someone wants you to be president of the society for the fight against athlete's foot. And, and you come to us and say, you know what, God's calling me to this task over here and I just can't serve here. <laughs> And I say that flippantly, but there could be a lot of other things that, that, that sometimes pull you away from serving God in a variety of capacities. And sometimes their ego or just that title or whatever it may be pulls us away. Now, if God's calling you to serve in a capacity outside this building, do it. Do it with everything you've got. But don't give up some things that God wants you to do or ways that God wants you to serve for things that really may not matter in this lifetime. And you have to really sort those out and walk through them. What I love this morning, I want to finish with, is eight or nine things. I didn't even count them this morning in the first sermon, but I think there are eight or nine things, just words and sentences, that I want to give you that Nehemiah does and reveals to us three or 4,000 years later that are just as applicable today as when he dealt with it. Number one, stand firm to your convictions no matter what. Stand firm on your convictions no matter what. But just make sure your convictions are consistent with the Word of God. I've had people walk into my office saying, well, you know, God told me to get a divorce. And I said, no, he didn't. Well, yeah, he did. No, he didn't. God says, I hate divorce. So don't tell me what God says that's contrary to his Word. Just make sure your convictions, whatever those convictions may be, are consistent with the Word of God. And when you know that for sure, stand on those convictions no matter what it's going to cost you. One of the things we don't do well in our society and some of the things that I don't think we do well even as a church, which is my fault because I'm its leader, and that is not take stands on certain issues that we know are right. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday morning. But when God's called you and you know what your convictions are, stand on them and stay consistent and true to them no matter what. Number two, don't give in to discouragement. I know that's easier said than done, but let me say this to you. Once you do, you're going down a D-tunnel that is very difficult to get back from. Because you'll start with discouragement or doubt, but it'll, end in it'll move to despair and then despondency. And if you're not careful, maybe to death. And once you start down that D-road of despair and doubt and discouragement, I'm telling you, it's very difficult to get back from. So be very careful not to give in to discouragement. 
Knowing you're going to face it. And that's why I'm honest with you. That's why Jesus was honest with you. That's what Nehemiah shows us. But don't give in to it. Thirdly, don't get by the lies of the enemy. Do not buy the lies of the enemy. About who you are and what you're called to do. You know that God loves you like crazy? People may put you down. You may not get it. You may think even my dad didn't like me. My mom didn't like me. My, whatever the story may be. I'm just telling you that God in heaven loves you like crazy. He formed you and shaped you and made you. Put all those talents and abilities and looks into you and out you. And all those things that God wants you to be. And even when you were spitting in his face and walking away from him, he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, stretch out his arm, forgive you of your sins, and offer you salvation. Offer you freedom in Christ and relationships and forgiveness and everything you can imagine and eternal life. That's how much he loves you. But the enemy will tell you you're, you're, you're not of value, you're never going to amount to much, you're never going to make it, you won't amount to anything, and the list is endless of lies that I've heard from the enemy and some that I've bought myself through the years. And I'm constantly reminding myself and reminding the enemy, I will not buy your lie. Because I am valuable in God's sight and he loves me like crazy. Don't buy the lies of the enemy. About who you are, what you do, or how you serve. Because he is a liar. And God is always the God of truth. Talk about this one next week, but fight for what you know is right. Fight for what you know is right. That may seem to go against some other cultures and some other places, and especially Christian pacifists, but fight for what you know is right. Bring this back with you next week, and we'll talk more about it. Resist the enemy. In James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, resist the enemy, and he'll flee from you. Recognize that God in the next one has given you more weapons that are available to you than anyone could have ever imagined. I love, you know, I love Nehemiah. You know why? Guy's got a weapon on one hand and a sword in the other one and a trial in the other one. I love that kind of guy. I carry a weapon wherever I go. I believe in the Second Amendment. Now I notice I just set myself up and some people think you're an idiot. I get that. But I'm one of these, I do, I carry a weapon. So I'm, I'm looking at guys like Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah, man. He's got a weapon in one hand, a trial on the other hand, and putting the wall back together again. But then God's spirit constantly and continually reminds me the weapons of our warfare are not like the world. You put your gun away and recognize you've got so many other things that made available to you through the, God, through the word of God. You've got things like prayer. You've got things like praise and adoration. The word of God. Weapons are our warfare, not like the world. Put your guns away. And recognize that God has given us so many resources that you can't even imagine. Peter said, I've given you more than you'll ever need for life and godliness. Every resource you could have under the sun, I've given to you for life and godliness. A couple of weeks ago at a district conference, I sat with a pastor who just wept and has gone through a nightmare. And he said, I'm telling you, if I leave this church, I will never go back into ministry. I said, Jim, why didn't you call me? Do not go through stuff alone. God's giving you prayer and praise and adoration and the word of God and, and, and friends and relationships. Don't go through it alone. Call out. The next one, leave vengeance and retaliation in the hands of God. Jesus said, love your enemies. One of the hardest sections in all the New Testament. But Jer or Nehemiah teaches us, leave vengeance and retaliation in the hands of God. Now, I have a stand on, on war and, and all of that, and we can talk about that at some point. But vengeance and retaliation, those are in the hands of God. 
And sometimes we're always wanting to get back. You don't know what they did to me. I get it. You don't know what they said. You don't know how that hurt. You don't know what they did. I get that. But leave vengeance and retaliation in the hands of God. And finally, seek God's face at every single turn. One of the reasons that I love Nehemiah so much is this man, no matter what he faces, where he goes, what difficulty he comes under, he turns to the face of God. And he sees God's face. What do I do? How do I respond? How do I stay strong in the midst of all these barrage of insults? And every single time, he turns his face toward God. Now back to the beginning. I got to believe there are people in the room who no matter how often you try to live your values, put down. Others in the room, you just want to live your faith and you get ridiculed. Sometimes you get discouraged. You don't know how you're ever going to walk this Christian life. And the enemy who is out to kill you and destroy you seems like no matter where you turn, he's going to tear your head off. I just want you to know there's some great resources in the Word of God. And to be able to take your stand for Christ and follow him no matter what. An incredible model in Nehemiah that is just as powerful today as when he wrote it. Let's pray. Father God, it's a great day to be in your house. I love your word. I'm still, I hope I never get over the fact that this is just as relevant as when it was written. I just am fascinated by that. And I know there are people in the room who are just going through nightmares. Who don't understand why and how and who and never saw it coming and didn't believe they were doing this. And, And put down and laughed at and ridiculed and have a hard time standing up for you. And I just ask in the name of Jesus that as they wrestle through that, not just in these 35 minutes today, but as they process this and, and apply it to their life, that it becomes more than just great information, but they really understand how to live it out in the midst of all this stuff that doesn't make sense. So speak to us and teach us as we follow after you, take our stands for Christ, and be the kind of believer and the kind of witness in the midst of all the things that go on around us that follows after you no matter what. In the name of Jesus, we pray.